Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. This is from James 1, 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but forgets, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Two more. Oh, 29. My, my note said 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This time I'd like to ask Pastor Billy to come up and we can pray for him. Dear Lord, we're thankful for this day, for the spring weather, um, for farmer's markets and all the things that are new. We also, Lord, pray that you would continue to help us to dig into your word in James pray for Billy to have the words to speak and um, our hearts to be receptive to what you would have to us to hear from you today, Lord. We give this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. So Brenda doesn't know this, but um, I'm going to voluntold her. Uh, so after uh, we're done this morning, so uh, just as soon as you walk out in that foyer, if you look to your left, there's a stairwell down there. One, just a free tip for you. There's two more bathrooms downstairs, so if you don't want to fight, there's that. But two, you go downstairs, and then you go to your right. That will lead you to the building next door. We're going to be over there in the fellowship hall if you want to talk more about how to get involved with um, family advocacy ministry, and so that would be a great way for, to, for you to do that as well. I'm going to pick on two other people. Both Katie Cushman and Lynette Ebel um, have helped lead the way for us, and so if you want to talk to some folks where you're like, man, i got to run right afterwards, don't worry. Um, we would love to continue to talk with you about that. So we're diving back into the book of James, and I remember when I was in uh, my internship, fresh out of college, I got uh, volunteered to go on a trip to Brazil. It was awesome. It was life-giving. I really, really enjoyed that time going and connecting and building relationships with people. Uh, we just, uh, last night as we got together with the men, I told them about my first experience eating at a Brazilian steakhouse, which is glorious. Um, if you've never done that before, it's amazing, but not as good as it is in Rio, I promise. I remember at the end of the week, I wanted to take a souvenir with me, and being 23 and not the wisest, I thought, why don't I buy this really cool pair of Oakleys from this guy for five bucks, right? Because that's a great souvenir. That's a timeless, you know, always going to last and bring me back to the heart of Brazil. So I had these uh, cheap 
uh, Oakley's. Now, I knew they were counterfeit, right? I knew it, but also I was like, no one can tell. These are pretty cool. Like, they look good. I like them. And I remember a couple years later after that, my brother-in-law started actually working for Oakley. And so he had a bunch of pairs of them. I was like, hey, let me try them on. I just want to compare them. And it was unsurprising, but they were hilariously better than my sunglasses. I mean, like my, I'm, I'm pretty sure now in retrospect that when I put them on, I think they actually were real glasses. So I was getting a little dizzy, you know, because they weren't <laughs> correct. And it was hilarious because they were counterfeit. They were counterfeit. We're in the book of James. And just as a reminder, this is the half-brother of Jesus. And he's been encouraging believers who are in difficult situations, who are scattered across the known world. He's been telling us that in our trials, right, in the difficult moments of our life, we can have joy. That in our trials, we should be those who pursue wisdom over and above comfort. And that in our trials, we can rest in the goodness of God. And up to now, that's what we've been focused on, right? How should we respond to trials and temptations? But now James is going to shift the focus to how we should respond to the word of truth. Specifically, he says that the word of truth has been implanted. It has been uh, given to us to dwell within us. Basically, in other words, do you live by the word of God? Are you obedient to what God has called you to do? Now, this is a challenging word from James that causes us to look within. And the question it's going to ask us is this, do we have a counterfeit faith? Do we have a counterfeit faith? Or are our lives shaped by the word? Here's our big idea this morning, simply this. The steadfast life is shaped by the word. The steadfast life is shaped by by the word. So how should we as Christians, as believers, live and respond to the word of God, right? That's the question we have to ask. And we're going to walk through our passage this morning and we're going to see first the challenge to receive the word humbly. So first, receive the word humbly. Look at verse 19 again with me. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In other words, listen more, speak less, resist anger. There's a young mother, and she went out with her little boy, and she was driving down the street, and the little boy looked a little confused, and he was looking out the window, and he said, Mom, why do the idiots only come out when Dad drives? <laughs> Listen more, speak less, resist anger. Now, you've probably heard this specific passage applied to your human relationships, right? You know, when you hit your brother, they're like, hey, you know, you've got to be slow to anger, but th that's important, right? There's absolutely an application for us in how we respond to each other, of course, but in context, James is also pointing us to the way that we respond to the truth of the Word of God. In other words, as we come to God's Word, as we open up our Bibles, we should be quick to listen to what God is speaking through the Scriptures. We're commanded to stop and listen to the Word, that we're not supposed to come to the Word with our own presupposed ideas or grow angry when we're convicted of sin. Instead, we should come humbly with a heart ready to hear from the Word of God. The idea is simple. 
Be humble as you approach the word. Be humble as you approach the word. Don't come with your defenses up, which does what? It leads to anger. It leads to resistance to the word. I mean, don't we often approach God's word talking and not listening? Don't we often come to God's word thinking, here's what I want it to say? Don't we often come to God's word looking to justify ourselves? What passage is going to make me feel better about this decision I've made? A man once complained to Mark Twain, the famous humorist, that the Bible was so confusing that it was a jumbled up, inconsistent mess filled with passages that he could not understand. And Mark Twain replied, I have more difficulty with the passages I do understand than with the passages I do not understand. We're like people in an argument who are not, who are not really listening to one another, but instead we're consumed with formulating how we're going to respond. You know what I'm talking about? You've been in that moment where they're basically, it's Charlie Brown's teacher right in front of you. Just wah, 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 wah. You're just like, I know exactly how I'm going to respond. Or if you're listening, you're listening to respond with a quick, cutting word. We're not quick to hear and slow to speak, but we're loath to listen and anxious to argue. We hear a verse, here's a hard one, like Luke 12, 33. Jesus says what? He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And here's what we do. We read something like that, and we're already thinking, yeah, but how do I get around that, right? How do I get around that? I was talking to Michael in the office this week, and I was like, man, James 1 is basically like me bringing a crowbar up to the pulpit and just like slinging it at you guys every week. And I, and I read this to him, and I, and I was talking about the way that we receive God's word and how I often will read things like that and think, how do I get around that? And Michael just said, that's because we live in a world of yeah, but. Yeah, it does say that, but you also need to be wise. And so you should put a little bit more back, and you should invest wisely. And all of that may be true, but it prevents us from actually hearing because we're so quick to want to dismiss and really, this has been true of God's people throughout history. Instead of humbly listening to God's word, we have resisted it as his people. I mean, this was the response of God's people to the prophets in the Old Testament. They would proclaim his word and they would meet their demise. This was the response to Jesus when he spoke the words of the Father. This was the response to Paul after he preached in the synagogues. Do you know how Paul was greeted when he brought the word to, to Lystra? He was going, he was speaking, he was proclaiming. The people were like... Yes, Paul, you're totally right. No, they chucked cinder blocks at his face. When we see what happens in Scripture to people who proclaim God's word, I can tell you as a pastor, it can almost come close to talking you out of wanting to be a preacher, right? Because those who proclaim the word of God don't often end up well in the world because our hearts are resistant to it. Look at verse 21 again. Verse 21 says, Therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word of God that gave us new birth, now it shows us how to live a new life. James uses this picture of salvation to show us how we need to come to God's word, come to the scriptures again and again. Now, salvation, yeah, does it happen only once? Of course, yes, but we're also constantly growing in sanctification and into salvation. Our salvation, it's a past tense event. Many of you maybe wrote down in your Bible when you prayed a prayer or when you got baptized, but that past tense event has future implications. 
And guess what? It also has daily implications that we grow into. And James is telling us in the same way that we receive the gift of salvation, we grow in sanctification, that process where we're being made more and more like Jesus. Our salvation is given to us by God through the word of the gospel, and we continue to grow through the word of the gospel. The gospel, friends, is not just for that moment of salvation, right? It's not just the ABCs of faith, as Keller says. It's the A to Z. The gospel, friends, is for every day. The gospel is what we have to come back to over and over. It's what we must preach to ourselves daily. And we need to remember as we read verse 21, right? Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Who's James talking to? Christians. Christians, believers, we're commanded to put away our sin, our filthiness, and our wickedness. Sometimes we can be self-deceived where we're like, well, I'm not too bad. Mm, yeah, you are. Christ died for you, right? He, did, he had to. The Son of the living God was crucified for a reason, and it wasn't just because you don't mind your P's and Q's. Friends, so that means that because of that, we put sin to death. Then, as we hear the word, we receive it. And we're commanded to receive God's word with meekness, with humility. And this humility, it flows out of a heart that's fully convinced of the truth of the gospel. That there is nothing that we could do to earn God's love, and yet, he loved us anyway. If we're being shaped by the word, we see and know the character of God through his word. That is when our hearts are humbled before him. I think of the fact that I, I've talked to so many people who are frustrated. Maybe they're indignant. Now, we talked about this last week, of being angry at God. And you ask the question of, like, are you in the Word or have you read? And, and the answer is almost always no. And there's a story that's been told often of a young man who called his mom and was frustrated and was late on his bills. And he said, hey, mom, you know, can I, I need some help. And she said, why don't you pray about it? Why don't you go to God's Word and then we'll talk again. Yeah, mom, that's great. It's great advice, fabulous, love it. I need to pay rent now, you know, so can we, can we talk about that? Well, yeah, we can talk about that, but first, read God's word, pray, and we'll talk. And time goes on, and he loses his apartment, gets frustrated, runs into another moment, calls his mom again. Same thing happens over and over again. And when he finally gets together with his mom, she says, well, did you read God's word like I told you to? And he gets indignant. He's like, yeah, I read it. Absolutely, I did. Of course, I read God's word. Don't you know? She said, really, you, you read it? He's like, of course. He's like, okay, uh, where's your Bible at? And he goes and gets his Bible, digs it out, and shows his mom that he still has his Bible. And she says, why don't you open it? And in his Bible, there were bookmarks, and at each bookmark, there was a $100 bill. A lot of us are indignant and frustrated and bitter and broken. God, why don't you speak to me? And he has. And we leave it. And we're just a few verses in, right? And we're already challenged. Because this is completely the opposite of how many of us live. Someone said to me recently, I'm not even kidding, this is what they said, yeah, Billy, I get it, but sometimes you just need to come unglued and say it like it is. Awesome. Is that in Proverbs? Is that what that says? James would say our anger doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. You see, too often we're like, yeah, but God gets angry. But you're not God. Jesus got angry. Yeah, because he saw the temple being abused and people being manipulated. Jesus was a defender. The only thing we usually defend in our anger is ourselves. 
Proverbs 29, verse 11 says this. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The bottom line is this, friends. An angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. We live in the day of outrage where we come with our opinions and our hot takes. We care more about 240 characters than we do about the eternal word of the living God. Friends, are you coming humbly before God's word and asking him to shape you? Is the word of God shaping you to be a servant of Jesus or are you living as a servant of self? Do you read, right? Are you engaging with God's word, friends? I know it's difficult. That's why we have each other. That's why we have so many gifts from the Lord. That's why we have his Holy Spirit indwelling within us to illuminate it for our understanding. It's important that we engage. And let this sit at the forefront of your mind because now we're gonna turn and we're gonna see the theme of really the whole book of James. And it's, it's this. Let's see the second challenge, which is be a doer of the word. Second, be a doer of the word. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Chuck Swindoll gives a helpful illustration on this point. I'm going to tweak it a little bit, but I think it still hits really well. So this is what he said. He said, let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you're my executive assistant in a company that's growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and, and I'm interested in expanding our business overseas. And so to pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad. I'm going to stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family in the move to Europe to, for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you, hey, I'm going to write you regularly. I'm going to give you directions. I'm going to give you instructions. I leave, and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out my expectations, and finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office, and I am stunned. There's grass and weeds that have grown up as high as my hip. There's a few windows along the street that are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room, and she's doing her nails, chewing gum, and listening to her favorite podcast. I look around and notice that the waste baskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts, and someone in the crowded lounge points down the hall and yells, yeah, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and I bump into you as you're finishing up a game of chess with our sales manager. And I ask you to step into my office, which I find out has been temporarily turned into a hangout room where people binge watch Netflix. And I say, what in the world is going on, man? And you look at me incredulously and say, what do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah. Sure, I got every single one of them. As a matter of fact... We had a letter study every Friday night since you left. We even divided all the personnel into small groups and discussed many of the things that you wrote for us. Some of those things were really interesting. And you'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two memorized an entire letter. One guy memorized two of them. 
great stuff in those letters. I look at you and say, okay, okay, you got my letters. You studied them. You meditate on them. You discuss them. You memorize them. But what did you do about them? And you respond, do? Uh, we didn't do anything about them. Ouch, right? I read that in my office. I was like, I think I need to lay down, right? That's, that's hard, friends. Be doers of the word. That's the theme of James. That genuine faith transforms us. We are called to not just be those who hear the word of God, though it is essential that we hear it. We're called to be those who hear and those who obey. The words from James are strong. If we hear the word and we do not obey it, here's what he says. We are kidding ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves. It's a strong indictment. But the words call to mind the very words of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Both Jesus and his little brother James are driving home a strong point that we must heed. Those who claim to be followers of Jesus come to church, show up to community group, look the part, but they're not actually believers. We deceive ourselves if we think we can claim the name of Christ, even study our Bibles, but not obey what he's told us to do. James is not telling us here, this is important, there's a tension point that's going to come up throughout the book of James. James is not telling us in any way that salvation comes from your hands, that salvation comes from works. Scripture is clear in teaching that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and totally apart from our works. Instead, James is trying to get our attention to see that our works are an evidence of our salvation. He's not saying that we earn our salvation by doing works. He's talking about, he's not talking about earning your salvation, right? He's talking about receiving your salvation. Let me say that again. He's not talking about earning your salvation. He's talking about receiving your salvation. Our outward fruit, that which we do, points to an inward transformation. It's, it, it's this. It's not just that we're forgiven, 
and then we go on living however we want. Rather, the idea is that we are utterly and completely transformed. We are born again. We live new lives with a new master. And this is the reality. It's a hard truth because a lot of us, we love to talk about forgiveness. We love to talk about salvation, but we're uncomfortable with ideas like servanthood and the lordship of Jesus. And James is telling us that we can't say we follow Jesus, then live like we follow ourselves. My brother Drew was here a few months ago, and I love Drew because Drew is the evidence to me of what a life transformed by faith looks like. When we were younger, um, our lives were disrupted, and we, you know, we, we lived in a, a broken home, and we, we worked through things, and we grew, and all of us processed things differently. We've talked about this, me and my brothers. Um, if you know me, I became this goofy extrovert that loves to just hang out nonstop and play games and do stuff. I have a lot of board games. It's a, Another thing. That, that's how I processed it. My brother Daniel just kind of withdrew, did his own thing, and Drew was just mad all the time. Angry, violently angry, until he met Jesus. And his life changed. He was a different person. He was kind, slow to anger, patient, understanding with his children. I'm like, who is this guy? That's what faith does it changes you to your core what we do is we're like someone as james says who looks in a mirror and then immediately forgets what he looks like in other words it's ludicrous that we would open god's word read it and then do nothing with it but sadly this is what many of us do we claim jesus and then we live like everyone else the church capital C, is full of unsaved Christians. Today, you may be sitting here thinking you belong to Jesus, but were Jesus to make a claim on your life, you would say, yeah, but not that. Sorry, that's mine. You can have all that, though. That's fine. But this, this is mine. Do you come on a Sunday, look in the mirror of God's word, see the messiness of your life? Man, my hair is out of place. I think that's chocolate. I do have a one-year-old, though. You know, and you see this, and then you walk away, and you do nothing about it, forgetting about it. Or do you daily look into the mirror of God's word and seek to look more like Jesus? You actually fix your hair. You actually wipe away the stain, changing that which is broken in you by the power of the Spirit. Friends, the gospel demands obedience. And James now refers to the perfect law, which is the law of liberty. In context, we can see he's referring to God's word, but more specifically, he's pointing us to the gospel. That we must view all of scripture in light of the gospel. And our obedience, friends, must be rooted in the gospel. Because catch this, if your takeaway is, I just need to try harder, friends, that's not the point it's the gospel that enables us to obey. In our own strength and in our own power, we cannot obey or be doers of the word. Well, Billy, how do you know that? Because we have this much of the Bible that shows that, that it's not possible. If the law could save, Christ would not have come. But because we've been transformed by the gospel and given new life as a new creation, that means we've been made new. We've been united with Christ. We are in him. 
As believers, friends, we can be doers of the word because the God of the word lives inside of us. We can be doers of the word because the God of the word dwells within. It's the power of the word that enables us to be doers of the word. And obedience to God's word is not this cruel taskmaster. It's freedom. The life of obedience, it's not the life of legalism. You see, legalism only gives the appearance of of spirituality while living apart from the gospel and in our own strength, in our own doing. But the obedience that we are called to is obedience that's rooted in the gospel just as the gospel is implanted in us. And the good news of the gospel for our obedience is that though Jesus calls us to obey, he gives us the power to do it. And this power to obey, friends, it's not from ourselves. It's not from our own ingenuity and pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. It's from him. Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The goal, friends, is not that we just have to try really hard and I just need to really stick to my Bible reading plan. No, Jesus is telling us to come and to take his yoke upon us. The burden of living in our own strength, it's too heavy for us to bear, but there is rest in obedience. There is rest in humble surrender. There is rest in a heart that is submitted to the Lord. We find rest in obedience through the power of the gospel that reminds us that our obedience is only made possible because we are in Christ and he is in us. James now carries this idea of what obedience looks like. So he calls us to see how we respond to the word and then to actually be those who do the word. And then third, he calls us to true obedience to the word. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Faith works. Faith is active. The life of faith is not accepting Jesus and then just living the same old way. Faith in the gospel, friends, it changes everything. Today, we see less of a call of that old-time religion that keeps up with the Joneses. Like, I don't think that's what most people are struggling with as they scroll on Instagram. But um, as a student of culture, I like to say that, um, uh, what that means is sometimes I sit in coffee shops without my headphones on. Uh, it's great because you learn a lot um, about what people think. And I was listening to a conversation the other day about how spiritual this person wanted to be. And so I was immediately perked up and engaged. It's like, okay, I want to be spiritual. Let's see what you know. I wanted to see what they had to say. And this was essentially their idea. I want to reject Christianity, and I just want to live by the teachings of Jesus. And so this person was really captivated by that. And they said, well, what does that look like? And this is, was their answer. It looked like light therapy, um, which, you know, could be fine and good, um, and self-care. Those were the two takeaways for the teachings of Jesus. And I was sitting over there going, I don't know where that's, uh, you know, at, but that's interesting. Now, I don't want to make fun of this person, but because 
that, that's what our culture pushes and affirms, right? Whatever you want to call it, religion or spirituality, James is going to give us the evidence of what a life captivated by the word of God looks like. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, superficial religion will always be fashionable because it does not require self-denial. The Christian life is not just about giving our hearts to Jesus, but it's about surrendering every word, every thought, every deed, attitude, and moment to him. Because the gospel transforms every aspect of our being. It transforms our hearts to be more like God. The gospel calls us to a life of radical and ordinary obedience. In the big and in the small, we surrender. In the monumental and the mundane, we worship. We serve because we are in Christ and he is in us. In these two short verses, James speaks of three life-changing principles. In fact, he's going to really expound upon these as we continue to go through the book. And we are in no way, again, we're not saved by the works that we do, but as believers who've been transformed by the gospel, our faith is evidenced by the things that we do. The gospel makes us new creations. It speaks light into darkness. It changes our view of everything. And the first thing that James addresses that's a key indicator of whether we believe or not is our words. I'm not talking about your words in this room. I'm talking about your words on Tuesday, right? He tells us that if we do not bridle our tongues, our religion is worthless. Yikes. That's some strong language. And James has a lot to say in his short book about our words and the power of our tongue. And we'll go through that in a few weeks. But our words are key because they reveal what is going on in our hearts. A problem with our words is really a problem with our hearts. Because our words show who we truly are. James says you need to bridle your tongue, harness, control your words. And the warning is strong that if we cannot control our words through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we're deceiving ourselves about the condition of our souls. James is calling us to see the gospel transforms our heart, which then in turn transforms our words. The next thing that, that, that James talks about is our care for the widow and the orphan. He says this is a mark of pure religion. Now, originally, we were going to be in this passage a different time than when Brenda was here, but God worked it out this way. The widow and the orphan are those who are overlooked and marginalized. And James is calling us to a sacrificial and selfless life. He's calling us to give to those who may never be able to give anything in return. Adoption is one way in which the body of Christ can reach out to the most vulnerable in our society. And maybe this morning you watch that video, you hear us talking about this, and God is stirring in your heart to do something, right? To get involved with foster care or adoption. Or perhaps you can be used to help someone else who feels called to adopt. You guys ever heard this statement? Uh, if every church in the U.S. adopted one child, we would solve the world's orphan crisis. It's actually not true. Um, and here's why. Jason Johnson of the Christian Alliance for Orphans explained that while this sounds really sweet, it's a false statement. This is what he says. He says, the math says there's X number of kids needing homes and there's X number of churches in our country. We can wipe out the crisis immediately. This logic, however, is flawed. While we may meet the need today, an entirely new roster of kids would come into care tonight and need homes tomorrow. 
It's the equivalent to scooping water out of a canoe with a teaspoon while the gaping hole in the bottom of the boat continues to let rushing tides in. When it comes to adequately and effectively addressing the national and global orphan care crisis, our efforts must be twofold. One, to close the back door on kids growing up into adulthood without families. The church, more than any other institution in the world, is uniquely equipped with the gospel of redemption and the diversity of the body to ensure that no child is ever left familyless. It's on us. Two, we must close the front door on new kids ever finding themselves in the position of needing a family. Preventative, alternative forms of restorative care for families is essential to ensure that they stay intact so kids can thrive safely and securely in their own homes. And while I certainly celebrate and advocate for the notion that every child can and should adopt and foster at least one, the extent of the work that's necessary to honestly eradicate the orphan care crisis would remain undone. What does that mean? Why are you telling us this, Billy? Do you just want us to feel bad? No. I want you to understand that the word of God doesn't call you to a one-time action. You see, we want the quick fix. My wife gives, gives me grief because I'm like so quick to go for ibuprofen. You know, it's like as soon as I turn 30, I was like, yep, and I'm done. You know, that's just, that's, that's not how it works. You know, she's like, hey, you're 35. Like, you can't, you got some more years. You can't just be always going for ibuprofen because I want the quick fix. I heard someone complain Guys, this is really hard to be a pastor sometimes. I'll just say that. This wasn't here. This was at a other church. Someone was wanting to re-engage with foster care. They adopted another kid. Try not to get upset. So they had three kids. This person got mad because he felt like they had too many children in their home. And he said, I already helped them once. Thank God Jesus doesn't say that about us. We'd be a mess. We can barely make it through an hour. <laughs> John Piper famously said as, he, uh, as a response to missions, global missions, go, send, or disobey. In regards to orphan care, and in regards to foster and adoption, go, right? Be a person who engages and welcomes someone into your home, right? My wife and I have been foster parents. We're praying about how to re-engage now that our kid's getting older. It's really hard. Go, send, be someone who supports families here. Give your time, energy, your finances, or, to put it bluntly, disobey. Instead of using our voices for evil, we can raise our voices to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. We can speak up for those who've been neglected and forgotten. We can be a friend to those who feel unwelcomed, and out of place. And this goes far beyond just the orphan and the widow and extends to just about every group of people. It could be refugees and immigrants who feel like they don't belong. It could be minorities, single moms, singles who feel out of place in our church. It could be a lonely friend who's struggling. It could be a tired new mom. Friends, we image God when we reach out to those who need comfort and encouragement. In fact, the word here translated as visit or look after, can actually be translated as seek after. And the New Testament is literally full of times when we see that God has sought or visited his people. We should love others the way that God has loved us. I'm almost done. I know some of you guys are like... Friends, the last admonition that, that, that James gives us in these verses is for us to stay unstained from the world. 
And this instruction, it applies to every part of our life. We're to be holy. We're to be set apart to serve the Lord. We're commanded not to think or act like the world. And this call to holiness, it's one that spills into every area of our life. It impacts areas of purity and personal holiness as we do not do some of the things that the world does. It impacts how we treat others as we do not buy into the lie of the world that anyone that is different than us is bad. It impacts how we speak, how we act, how we think, how we live. It calls us to be Christ-like in every part of who we are. That is the point, friends. The call is to be like Jesus. The word Christian means little Christ. It means that you look like Jesus. It's the call to be transformed by the power of the gospel and to live and to love like Jesus. This is heavy. I'm aware. And if there's this inclination in you that you've got to try harder, do more. If it's conviction, heed it. Repent and follow the guidance of the Spirit. If it's condemnation that says you're not good enough, you've got to earn it, then it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because Christ earned it, friend. He's calling you to live into the reality that you are a son, you are a daughter of the King. You belong to him. Four questions for us to think about as we come to a close. First, how do I approach the word? Am I quick to hear? Second, am I obedient to the word of God? Is there something I am holding on to rather than surrendering it to the lordship of Christ? Three, what action does my faith need to take? What action does my faith need to take? And fourth, when it comes to pure religion, where do I need to go or sin? How have I been disobedient? And where might I need to repent? We'll put all four on the screen for those of you who want to take a screenshot. This is hard. Let's link arm in arm and go to God's word together, friend, and ask the Lord to change us and grow us. This is freedom he's calling to, not restraint, freedom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope of the gospel that calls us to be a new creation. You call us to a faith that is not stagnant, but is active. We don't just pray a prayer once and then just coast through life, but Lord, we are radically transformed. We are new creations. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have come to your word indignant and ready to speak to it about what we think it should say. Forgive us for the times that we've ignored your word altogether. Forgive us, God, for the times, Lord, that we have been those who look into your word. We have sound doctrine, but we walk away completely and utterly unchanged. May we be a people, Lord, who say, Spirit of the living God, transform me in every way. Use me, mold me, captivate my life, empower me to be obedient to you. And would we see you working in power among us? Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Lord, humbly, we pray that you would eradicate this brokenness in our world of those, Lord, who are broken away from their families, of those, Lord, who are uh, bouncing around from home to home with no sense of permanency. Lord, would we see the church answer the call? 
to put our faith into action and to care for children, to care for the refugee, to care for the immigrant, to care for those who are different than us because you care. Make much of yourself, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.